Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? You can just get crazy. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. So um, now that the poor man's John Travolta has purchased Twitter for $44 billion, will you be deleting your account? Yes, I'm getting off. Only because um, I I, I actually, uh, I just, I mean, I think that he uh, is a... uh, He's in many ways a genius. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fault him on that. There's, there's, but I don't trust what's gonna happen. Like I just don't want to be a part of the great unraveling in that way. I don't know. It'll probably unravel, then come back together and unravel before it finally goes in one direction or the other. Yeah, I'm gonna. Tw- also, let's be honest. I'm gonna probably use this as an excuse to get off because nobody fucking retweets my shit anyway. So I'm just gonna yes, use it as an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, not working yeah. for me. I'm not Twitter famous. Nobody gives a fuck. So I'm going right. to just shut it down and then maybe TikTok will be our new thing, right? There you go. By the way, 44 billion. I was like trying to conceive, you know how humans really can't conceive of big numbers and so I'm always trying to find these ways of like making it you know somewhat understandable. And uh it turns out this a lot of people do this and and I read an article about how Oh, by the way, I used to, I realized, uh, apropos of this, I was relying on Twitter 100% for my news. Like I had stopped, I I used to start with the New York Times and then go to Twitter. And then I stopped starting with the New York Times. I I would only go to it if there was a link to it in Twitter. And so today I start, I did the Times again. And, you know, there's a lot of bad things going on that I really didn't know about because I hadn't been, you know, I really hadn't been paying attention to the news. But okay, so he, for ostensibly speaking, you could end world hunger with $6 billion. You could end um, United States houselessness with $20 billion. And this is Forty-four billion. Now, when they say these things, like you could end it, I always think, like, right. yeah, but really, how? Right, that doesn't seem right need, because there's still well, be there's poverty. like, right, and also you need you need you need systems put in place. It's not, but what with the resources, I think it is important to know, like, that's how much resources financially it would cost and then it would take a whole fuck ton of work but I do think it's interesting to and also who comes up with these figures that's hilarious to me there's some person being like you could end Jen Jen Bosworth Ramirez's problems with you know $150 you know like that kind of a thing well I think I think in the case of the thing I was reading it was like um, organization non-governmental organizations who their mission is to end world hunger or their mission so they do yeah my guess is the New York Times is really checking their shit out. So, yeah, of course. And they're yeah, talking to nonprofits yeah. that that's, this is their mission. So they know these numbers. Um, okay. Yeah. That is crazy as fuck. And he spent $44 billion? He spent $44 billion. And that's the other thing about it. It is starting to seem like these, you know, mega billionaires are just kind of bored and looking for something novel. I mean, you know, him and Bezos are 
trying to, trying to outspace each other and and it's just like there's no you know it's it's the thing of like there's no um, there's nothing left to vanquish so let's just you know come up with new things and I think you know I wonder if any of them would be interested in like having a perspective change like what if they had to live without a house for some period of time what if they had to you know like is there a way that we could um mandate just sort of the experience of not being them what okay what you're what you're talking about is like a mix of like outward bound meets tough love and like prisoner for a day like reality show for billionaires and i am all for it therapy they need wilderness therapy yeah well i'm convinced that like if you trapped me in an elevator with them for an hour they might have a perspective change only because or anyone anyone that's not in their circle it could be any well it couldn't really be anyone because like can you imagine them getting trapped with like I don't don't know my weird neighbor that would not be good but like someone who is psychologically minded like that actually cares about the universe and stuff if they were if we I always think of this I don't know why but like let's say uh, Osama bin Laden was still alive um, and then he got trapped in an elevator with me and neither of us had weapons right and neither, we just have our minds and our mouths and our hearts and all our bodies could we come to could we change could anyone change anyone being trapped in the elevator for a couple hours i don't know but it would be interesting to find out so this is along those same lines like you put elon musk in the woods but they have to have either a therapist or some kind of guide because left to their own devices they're gonna fucking try to colonize the woods right they're gonna be like ah we could you know so they need a guide who would be their guide gina I think it should be you, frankly. No. I think you, the you're woods, perfect. I'd be like... <laughs> oh, maybe not in the woods. By the way, how long do you think it would take Osama bin Laden to acknowledge your presence since you are a woman? Oh, that's great. That, together in oh, an that is a really good... That is a really good question. Would he just pretend I wasn't there and I would dance around? I mean, I kind of think he would just pretend that you weren't there. Like, like. Well, that would even give me more impetus to get in his face. I would be like, oh, this is a game now. So then I would try to be like, you know what I would do? Because I'm a people pleaser. I'd be like, I love your hair. Like, I would be like, tell me how you got your hair to look so whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. Or like, I think you have great bone structure like I would just come up with the most because that's who I am so it would either or he would just strangle me that that could be he could just <laughs> that's strangle a possibility me. too I like to think of um what if because you know I get really when when I'm around a celebrity I have sort of the opposite of a fan reaction I have the reaction of like I, it's my only job to pretend like I don't know who this person is so so sometimes I imagine like thinking of completely unexpected um conversation starters with people like that like did you ever try atkins diet or <laughs> you know <laughs> how, what how did you have a myspace and how long how long did you those are great how long did questions you keep it active I, 
I think we should have a running list of questions, unexpected questions to ask celebrities in enclosed spaces. You know, like that's yeah. great. Or like, hey, have you like just to like if you were with a Kardashian, like maybe you could just be like something completely weird, like, hey, like have you, have you, um, hey, Chloe, Courtney, Kristen, whatever the fuck their names are, have you had a colonoscopy? And what was that like? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just like, what's your favorite type of pen? I heard the Sharpie gel roll. Yes. <laughs> just like questions that have nothing to do with their brand, you know, like, like that yeah. would be great. Nothing about beauty, nothing about fashion, but like hard nose things. Wait, like celebrities should pay for experiences like that because I, I think that those people really miss having regular human interactions with people who don't know who they are right well yeah and so my my favorite one that's similar the reason I do the elevator one is I was once stuck in an elevator with Ashton Kutcher for oh my like God, 20 really? minutes but yeah he came to to, to, an, uh, to visit uh, Nick's office once and I, my job, he parked in a really weird floor. Like, you, you, anyway, he parked on the roof of a 10-story building, right? And we, our parking was, like, on the first floor. I, I don't know how he ended up up there. But anyway, so my job was to ride with him from the office. Um, and then we ended up going all the way down for some reason because I thought he parked in the basement. And he really, and then we get all the way down and he's realized, no, I parked on 10. And I'm like, well, now we're tough stuck here with people getting off and on every fucking two minutes. Okay. So, but no one really, there not too many people noticed him. He had a baseball, but I knew who he was because they said, oh, Ashton Kutcher's coming to the fucking office today. Right. So, okay, great. So I'm in the elevator. I'm thinking of things to say. And I, realized before he came that he was uh either from Iowa or Ohio and I so I said go Buckeyes and he was like that's the wrong state and like we 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 had this like really weird conversation but I literally couldn't get anything right in the conversation so I kept saying the wrong thing but it wasn't uncomfortable for me because I was like I don't give at this point it's probably towards the end of my tenure there and also like whatever like I, I, I he wasn't someone that I was gaga about if he was I would have had I probably would have been really upset but I was just I just kept trying to make conversation but I couldn't get any of the facts right that had to do with his life and so he it was great it was a great conversation because he was just like he wasn't even mad he was just like that's the wrong state and I was like oh well what 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 yeah, is the team right there? like, nice he was like oh it's the Hawkeyes nice it's this yeah. So we did that for like 20 minutes. It was like the worst, but he was, he was nice. He was all right. But yeah, I think they should, I think celebrities should pay to get stuck places with regular people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I just, we all just really need to expand our minds. Honestly, like we, we think that we're so worldly because information is so readily available, but I'm not worldly. You know, I, I, there is just, I, I would say maybe I've experienced like 1% of what life has to offer. I agree. Me too. Me too. Hey, let me run this by you. Because here's my thing too. It's like, I I am fascinated by many things. So I'm back in town, back in my home state of California, and I've had many adventures. But I am, while I was on the plane, I was thinking about like 
a lot of things, obviously. And we talked on the last uh, Let Me Run This By You and stuff about my self-therapy I do on planes. And then on the way home, I was doing some therapy with myself on the Southwest flight. And I thought, I am, I think I was like trying to narrow down, like, what am I fascinated by? You know, it's not because it was a lot of murder. Right. And it, and we talked about how now I'm, I'm, I'm a little more like stay away from, I want to stay away from the like sort of gore porn of it all, but I am fascinated by fear. Okay. Like the fears of people, the psychology of fear and the psychology of change. And then I was like, oh, I'll get a PhD. And then I was like, that's a terrible idea. I can't go back to school. But I am fascinated we need by... To, we need to drill down on what it is that happens to you that makes your mind go to an advanced degree. Like, is it when you're I think, hungry? Yeah. Is, it when, is it when you're yeah. tired? Is it when you're lonely? Pro- probably all the things but I think it's also I think what it is is there's a part of me that's like oh well like how can I legitimize whatever I'm really interested in and then you make money from it or teach it and I and I don't it's like a leap then to going to PhD school which I'm like no fucking way am I getting a doctorate but I am fascinated by the psychology and the of fear itself because I realize like when I was talking to the vet on the way over the the vet vet uh, military vet on the plane ride from LA to Chicago, that like he, he was like, so you're not afraid to talk to to public speak? I'm like, no, dude. That what I am? I have no fear. If you told me President Obama is sitting there and you're gonna go out and give a speech, I would be excited and I would be like, oh, I hope he thinks I'm cute. Like that's where my mind goes. But I'm not like, oh, I can't do this. I will fail. That doesn't. It's not a barrier that I have set up for myself in my brain for some reason. Now, if you said, Jen, you have to be a flight attendant for a week, I think I would shit myself and then refuse. So I'm just fascinated by that, Beans. That's all. I'm just like really drilling down to like, what is the thing that fascinates me? And it is people, their fears, what stops them and what, and then how they get over them. And do we ever really get over something? You know, if, is, are we ever quote cured from a fear? Right. I don't know. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. So here's the thing I don't get about you. I don't get what your relationship is to control. I am a very controlling person. I have to work very, very hard at all times, basically, um, to manage my out of control sense, need for control. I have to manage it. Yeah, say more. Can you say more? Say more. Say more because I want to know what it looks like in, you can use a benign example or not, whatever example you want. Like, how does it manifest in a day to day? Okay, like, um, I, yesterday, the plan was this one's going trick or treating with her friend, this one's doing this, this one's doing that. And, and Aaron's job. He asked me what he should do. I said, I'd like you to go as soon as you get off work and check in with this one because she's someplace. I I have a vague idea of where she is, but I don't know like really precisely. And he came home. (laughs) Well, he says, well, could I come home first and like change into warmer clothes? I said, of course. He came home. He kind of like kibitzed. Then he started eating 
and then he realized he was really hungry. So then he ate kind of a big meal for a long time. And then he went up to change. And then when he, and I, the whole time I'm just like, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Don't uh, say anything. Because somebody yes. once told me, somebody once told me, you can ask your partner to do a chore or a favor or whatever, but you can't tell them how to do it. Oh, and God. I'm still of oh, two God. minds about that because sometimes you need both. Sometimes you need the thing and you need it done in a certain way because you can, literally cannot do everything yourself. I, I know because I've tried. Yeah, so me too. I was telling myself not to say anything. And, and then when he came downstairs and started playing with the dog. Oh, shit. I mean, I'm just my, I'm just boiling inside. But I don't want to alienate him, you know, because... My intention right. is actually fine. It's it's not like I'm controlling for controlling's sake. I'm worried that she's worried. Where is he? Right. I'm worried that the right. the other little kid's mom is going. Well, is any <laughs> are either of these parents going to come over? You know, he doesn't think that way. He doesn't worry about the time. He never worries about the time. I always worry about the time. Um, so I spend a lot of my day just in conversation with myself about like. Well, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? You know, do I, yes, it's true that, that he's taking a long time. And yes, it's true. But like, I guess if I was really worried about it, I should have gone over there to follow up. with uh, him I mean, OK, so OK. So now I hear what you're saying about control and it is wanting to um, you are stopping yourself from like interjecting or reiterating your wants, your needs, and your fears with people. Okay, okay. So then what don't you understand about me? What is the conundrum? You seem like a person who is not hung up on needing control. And I think about fear, especially the fear of flying or fear of heights. I think I it's not that it's necessarily based. In fact, I just tend to think about those things as fear of a loss of control. Sure. I think you're right. I think they are. Uh, I, I do. I, I mean, I, when you were talking about your thing about asking your partner to do something and then not wanting to, and then trying to stop yourself from jumping in. I do that all the time with Miles, with my husband. So that I, I definitely, that is so, but I don't do it with other people. Like I save it all for him. It's really sad. It's not good. And the dog, right? Like I'm the dog. It's not good. So those two bear the brunt of that kind of control. Now, so I can totally relate to that and wanting to fix, manage, and control those two to a T. It doesn't work. It leads to our biggest fights and the major upsets. So yes. Now, with my sort of phobia fears about flying, I would say flying is the number one. And then the second one is like medical, um, having my blood pressure taken. Those somehow are about shame and... Um, shame and abandonment. So when I'm in a plane, the only thing I've realized that helps me, the only thing that really opens the door to not having a full blown panic attack and never flying again is saying, I will not abandon myself no matter what happens on this plane. Because I feel my parents abandoned me, my family abandoned me when I was young. And then not only was I abandoned, I felt, whether it was true or not, I felt shamed about my whole existence, right? 
So like the blood pressure thing is, is so clear. It's like your blood pressure is too high because you're bad, you're fat and you're, you could have avoided this. Okay. Easy peasy. Shame is right there for flying. It's like, what's wrong with you that you are so weak that you, that you can't handle flying in an airplane. So that, those are my, that is where that goes. So for me, it's about shame, abandonment, and the only way out is to say, okay, okay, so I'm fat and bad and wrong and terrible, but I will not abandon myself the way I, and it has taken me so long to get to the point where I won't abandon myself, even in, emotionally in those situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. So would it be fair to say that you're um, really where like the emotional valence is for you right now with the whole flying thing is more about your your shame about the fear than it is about the fear itself? Like, or, or are you really spending a, a long time imagining scenarios in which the plane is going to crash? No, it's morphed. So that was like how it got me. That's how I got to thinking about like how fear changes and how we move through it. No, no. I would say I spend now about 20% on, oh my God, we're going to crash. Like some weird shit's going to happen and the engine's going to explode or whatever. Birds are going to fly in. But that's like 20%. And it's called a bird strike, by the way, which is hilarious to me for some reason. (laughs) That that is the technical name for when birds fly in. A bird strike. Let me tell you something. The birds are not striking. They're just trying to fucking fly and we are striking them. Like, what the fuck? Anyway... Like, leave the birds alone. Who the fuck? But anyway, so it's 80% beans thinking about my, what is, yes, my, yeah, you are right. The emotional juice is, what is wrong with me that I cannot do this, quote, safe as hell task that everybody else does, and I have to cry on an air, I just cry on an airplane. I don't moan, I don't scream, I silently cry while I look out the window and do therapy with myself. That is what I do. And there's a part of me that's like, why do I have to do this? But that's what I have to do to get through a flight. So it's the truth. Honestly, honestly, we, we really all should be doing that because flying is horrible and horrible things that we don't deal with and push away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you have to have that as a coping mechanism, but when all you ever do is push the horrible things away it seeps into other places and you're coping in ways that you didn't even realize that what, what it is that you're coping for. If we could all sit there and face the reality that it sucks to fly, it is somewhat dangerous. It's, you know, it's dirty and expensive and unpredictable. And then we just spent the entire time like dealing with our own feelings about that. Maybe airports wouldn't be such stressful places. You know, maybe there wouldn't be this, because what I just feel is so pervasive is in the public sphere. I feel like we're all so acclimated now to having these highly curated personal spheres that when we get into the public sphere now, it's like we're just so put out by having to deal with yes. other people and their, and their shit, right? Like it's the road like, rage. It's the bad behavior at restaurants, at airports, and, you know, in public places. It is so true beans the guy next and this i mentioned this a little bit about the guy wearing the harvard sweatshirt on the flight over like this this the flight attendant came by and said hey you need to put your seat up for takeoff the guy just starts shaking his head and getting angry now let me tell you like why what are you doing that for that's one it's her job two 
it's just part of the deal, but he just had to have a comment on it. And I was like, and he was the guy later yeah. who said, it's not ideal, but nobody asked me. And I'm like, but okay, nobody asked me. Okay. Well, it, you know, we're just so entitled. We just feel so entitled to have it, the experience be exactly what we paid for. And it's, you know, it's kind of the lie of capitalism that they've sold us. Like, if you have enough money, you can have a perfect life. You can have everything be free of hassle. <laughs> Aaron has this patient who he says... Their biggest thing in life is always like, I want a hassle-free existence. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And, and like, they're really upfront about it, saying, like, no, 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 I want my life to be hassle-free. So, And, of course, what's happened over the years is that his life has gotten smaller and smaller because you really – you can't even be in your own house by yourself without having a hassle. Uh, Anyway, so – Speaking of bird strikes, I know you were into a a thing for a while where you loved watching, like – Roller coaster videos. Have you seen? I don't know if it's there's one, but the one or a one where the guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I know I don't know what this is, but I'm excited. Gina, Gina is just cracking up silently. Okay, what? What is he doing? The guy is screaming, going at the top of the roller coaster, and then this bird just flies into <gasps> yeah. the back. And the look on his face. I mean, imagine <laughs> being at the apex of terror on a roller coaster and then having a bird just stuck to your neck in mid-flight. Feathers going into your mouth. Like, I mean, your brain, there's just no way yeah. to comprehend that while you're in the mid You the know what? Of it. I think that that is such a good metaphor for life. It's like... There's no way this could get worse. And then a fucking bird flies in your mouth and attaches itself to your neck while you're on a scary as shit roller coaster. Or that, or that, like, the thing that you're so afraid of, the thing that you're really focused on is not the thing that takes you out. Right. It's not the, it's it's the least, it's actually the least of your fucking worries. They're like, by the way, like if you could see your destiny, they're like, you're so afraid to fly, but actually what's going to happen is like a fucking suitcase is going to fall on your head and break your neck. And like, that would so be, and then you're in heaven or wherever the afterlife going, uh, my fucking ass was so dumb. I thought it was going to be this. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Damien Thompson. Damien Thompson is the first person I've ever met who not only went to theater school for grad school, not only went to theater school for undergrad, not only went to theater school for high school, but he also went to theater school for junior high. I have never met a person who is as trained as Damien Thompson, plus he was a delight to talk to. So please enjoy our conversation with Damien Thompson. Yes. So congratulations, Damien Thompson. You survived two theater schools. <laughs> yes. yes. Right? So it was you're, really you're, we should oh make a gosh. little club and have little pins because you, I think well, there's we only call five. It double winners. Yeah. Right? Double, double winners. Yeah. Double doubles, double demons. If you went to the, the, the DePaul, but I don't think you did. Um, so you're in a club. We haven't had that many people who have BFAs and MFAs. So we want to hear all about it. You did your BFA in Indiana? 
Yes, uh, the University of Evansville. Okay, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I need, I have questions. So I've researched you because I'm no dummy. And you, you are, you were born in Jamaica or am I, I making that I was born in up? Jamaica, yeah. Okay, and then you moved, then moved to, to Miami. Miami. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay, what? How the hell did you end up? Oh in God! <laughs> you know what? I mean, to be honest, I had never heard of the school. I'm going to be blunt. Um, I, you know, coming from an East Coast, I I always tell people like East Coast folks, we tend to want to stay on the East Coast, right? Like all the schools that we think of are like the East Coast. I think the furthest middle we'll go is like, oh, maybe Carnegie Mellon or something, right? So <laughs> maybe. But growing up, I think like everyone wanted to go to uh, Juilliard, North Carolina School of the Arts, you know, SUNY Purchase, like these are all the schools like on the East Coast, right? And if you were going to stay in Florida, you wanted to go to Florida State. So I auditioned for North Carolina School of the Arts and I got in and it was like mind blowing because at that time they had like one black guy out of 50 states so it was like oh my god i'm the chosen black guy <laughs> i look can i just tell you something that i dated the other chosen black guy out there named danion davis he went there and he was the only black dude in his class he's way older than you but anyway yeah, but yeah, it's funny. Like when 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 people's like, well, how how do you know that you were the only black? I was like, because I went to visit, and in each grade there was one. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's me, great. Um, so I was. That is I, so. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is so sad, and it does really seem like every time we have a black guest, that is their story. Like Tremel Tolman <laughs> was the first person in, in his MFA program. Like I'm real, I'm real eager for this first thing to to be done with, and it like it should have been 30 years ago. But anyway, I mean, I I, 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 I feel like a lot of things have changed, you know, like I, I, I look now and I mean, I'm just going to be blunt. I was like, if you're a straight white guy now, it's the, it's, that's the hard thing now. Cause I feel like most programs are trying to rectify the mistakes of the past. Right. Um, but back then that was it. <laughs> so I was like set on, on going there. I had a really great ride. Um, although it was, uh, you know, you're out of state. So that always tacks on a little bit of 12 to 15,000 extra. Um, but I got, really great scholarships and I was set on going. And then I was doing um, the Florida Theater Conference and we had some schools that we auditioned for and the University of Evansville was there and I wasn't able to go to the callback because I was doing a show and my teacher went and my teacher went and represented me and then she came back and she's like, I really think you should check the school, the school out. You know, and it- wait a minute, your teacher, when, what did she do? Like, I cannot imagine. So this is a high yeah, school. Yeah, I mean, I did go to a performing arts high school. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, my high school teacher <laughs> was, like, convicted of being a pedophile and an <laughs> asshole. So he did not represent us in any way other than that. So, okay, so she, so did you oh love her and I, she loved you? So she, she was so Backstory. When I came here, I was put in, like, a speech a speech class, and it was so traumatic and kind of jarring that I started to stutter and I stuttered like every other word. So like, it was like, hi, my name is Damien, right? And when I was in sixth grade, I did this exploratory wheel thing where it was like nine weeks of computers, nine weeks of theater, nine weeks of art. And when I got to theater, they had us do like the Martin Luther King speech at some point. 
And like, apparently I got up in front of the class and I spoke and did the whole thing and I didn't stutter. And my teacher was like, oh my God, you didn't stutter the entire time. And I was like, oh, and she's like, I think you should like try out for the performing arts school here. It'd be good for you. And I did. And I, you know, she told me later that she helped me get in. Right. I was like, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, so I got in and I went to the performing arts middle school, uh, Norton middle and, um, then went on to. Wait a minute. There are performing arts. There are performing arts elementary schools. Oh yeah. I was behind the game. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I want to go. I want to yeah. go back, but no, I can't. <laughs> but but okay. So you you went to this performing you went to the performing arts middle, middle school. school. Um, and she was my teacher then. And then, ironically, when I was transferring to the high school, there were two high schools: um, New World School of the Arts and uh, Miami Northwestern Performing and Visual Arts Center, which is the Payback program. And I went to the. Wait, what, wait, payback uh, program, pay, what's that? Payback, okay. performing and visual arts. And, oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah. payback. I was like, payback, <laughs> we got payback <laughs> or something? Nice. Uh, oh, okay, so wait a minute. There are two performing arts high schools um, in Miami. There's, there's more now. Like, there's Michael Kropp now. There's, there's, yeah, but back then it was two, and I remembered when the third came out. Um, and so she transferred from the middle school to the high school that I went to the same year, ironically. Like, it was like not in the cars. It just kind of happened. And so I ended up having her for six years and it was literally life changing, like mentorism, right? So she, yeah, right. Like we talk a lot about on this podcast, the, 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 um, essential like wonder and gloriousness of having mentors and teachers that actually champion us. So she must have seen something in you and you must have seen something in her and you were able to, I wonder if it was iron. Did she really, did she switch on purpose? Because I would be the kind of teacher that would switch just to be with No, no, no. I think to be honest, it's, um, it, it was like the high school, program that I went to, we were like the underdogs, right? Like the other performing arts school had more money. They had, you know, they were based downtown. And so they wanted, the city wanted to up the stature of the other school. And so they asked her to transfer. She said no. And they transferred her anyway. So she found out, yeah, she found out like late in the game that she was being transferred. So it wasn't intentional, but it was literally like, serendipitous um but it was was intentional yes 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 and Um, and now 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 that you've told us that you went to performing arts junior high i can say we have definitely never had somebody who went from middle school to graduate school which actually makes you the most qualified person i've ever talked to to comment on the theater school experience so i'm so eager to hear everything about it can Go ahead and continue your story. Yeah. So then, um, uh, yeah, so then we trans- transferred there. Great, great, great. So she went and represented me and came back and was like, you should check this school, this school out. And I was like, okay. You know, in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm going to North Carolina School of the Arts, you know? And, um, and what was interesting was that even from my audition for North Carolina School of the Arts, I think I walked into SUNY Purchase prior to my audition to use SUNY Purchase as like a warm-up audition because <laughs> I was like I want this school so much I can't just like go in I have to like go and do it with, with some other school and get the the bad vibes out right 
and then went in and blah, blah, blah. But so then I, I reached out to, uh, Evansville and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I missed you guys, blah, blah, blah. And so they flew me up with like a group of students. Yeah. At the time they flew us into Louisville, Kentucky, and then drive us the hour and a half to Evansville. Um, and basically gave us a tour of the whole school. We got to stay with like, um, we had like, you know, like, uh, perspectives that, you know, would like take care of us. And mine was Retina Wesley. And I was like, so ecstatic. I was like, she was so cool. She was like, you know, chill, relaxed and kind of like a star, but, um, in the most down to earth way. Right. And, I mean, I went, I auditioned again for the rest of the faculty. They spoke to me. And then I, I mean, I pretty much knew I had gotten just by how they were speaking to me. Um, and to be honest, I didn't care because I was like, I'm already got into Oregon School of Arts. <laughs> but right, like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Like, you knew. So I feel like there's so many things to unpack here. But I will just comment that, like, what sticks out to me is that, like, wouldn't it be great if we all felt like we belonged someplace, and so then we could explore other options to see maybe we really belong someplace else. So I love that you went in there, not like freaked out, not like just kind of like checking it out so you went and what did besides your you know your sort of student mentor that you met there that was like a star okay what made you go I saw a production of all wilderness and I was blown away I was like wow I every single actor was amazing the show was beautiful the theater was beautiful beautiful there was such a sense of community, you know, like she was walking down the hall. She would, you know, Hey, to the tech people, to the stage hands. Like it was just like, no one had egos. Right. It was like, everyone was really there for each other and was trying to do like, trying to put on a, a good show. Yeah. And you're reminding me that like, there's something about on, like, we thought we were the shit because we went to a theater conservatory in Chicago, or at least I did. But like, here's the thing about being an underdog situation is that it's always now look, it, it, um, Evansville, maybe not an underdog anymore, but like at the time, maybe it was an underdog situation. And the thing about underdogs is the, the ego, that part of the sort of entitled shit a lot of times gets weeded out when you're an underdog. And so you can actually just do the so goddamn I, work. No, I do. You know I do. I mean? But I will correct you a little bit. Evansville was not an underdog back then. That This is what's interesting. Oh. I know. I What was interesting was like, I just didn't know about the program. And, and I don't think a lot of people did. But when you looked at how many people auditioned and the acceptance rate and the reason why they they're so good right when the people are so you know kind of community oriented is that's how they were vetted like the the, the school had like some ridiculous percentage of like 90 percent of the people were like valedictorians of their uh high high school like every theater person had like an academic scholarship also like it was kind of a weird like we're gonna go out and, and search and find people and bring them to this kind of so it was like super intentional the way they created yes. the ensemble, but how did they keep it a secret? And what, I mean, I guess you're a lot younger than, than us. Like I was like, why the fuck didn't I go there? But like, well, I wasn't the valedictorian. That's probably why, but, <laughs> but that's amazing. Yeah. I think that, I mean, to, to be honest, I just, I, I think it just wasn't as well known on the, on the East coast, right? The East and the, um, 
the uh, West West Coast. A lot of people came from Texas. They, their their competitors were like Webster and Oberlin College and CCM, and you know, like that was like they would go against those people for students. Um, but yeah, so uh, after like I mean that experience, and like I met like some engineering friends, some soccer player friends um, that to this day I'm still friends friends with, and. For me, it was being able to be in so many different uh, arenas, right? So many groups um, and everyone's still supporting each other. Like I had like soccer players coming to my shows, you know, um, fraternities coming to my shows. I was like an honorary like SAE guy. Like it was like everyone has to leave except for the SAEs and Damien. I was like, oh, thank you guys. <laughs> like, you know, like so it was like it was just like one of those experiences. And to be honest, when I went and visited um, North Carolina School of the Arts, like No Tea, No Shade, it was just like so highbrow that like, I, I just didn't feel warm, you know? I, 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 I yes, I know, ex I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's this thing, and I think it's actually a, um, a bad trap for some programs that they get into. They become so esteemed that they everybody starts kind of resting on their prestigious reputation and i don't know I, I didn't go to yale so i don't know if it deserves the hype or not but um i do i have heard of that you know happening and then it's something that they have to really work actively against and as boz was saying earlier the underdogs even though evansville wasn't but the let let's say the you know not the yale and not the juilliard I mean, that's pretty much what it is, right? Like when we were coming up, it was like, well, there's Yale and there's Juilliard and there's Tish and, and then there's everything else, right? So that that's how it that's how it, it felt to me. So um, you were smart to want to get in on something that wasn't, you know, where where you were going to be the focus and not the school's reputation. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, you know, they were nice, you know, they gave money, they, but it was just like, I mean, even my parents were there and my mom was sitting down and the head of the school like looked at her and I know it was a joke, but it just didn't sit right with me where he looked at her and he goes, we think that Damien is talented. Do you think he's talented? And then I'm sitting there like, uh, and then my mom is kind of like, she doesn't know what to say. And I'm like, this is awkward. <laughs> like, you know, this is like, what? Like, yeah. I mean, also like, it's a little sinister. There's like something weird and white lotusy about it. It's like, is this a trick question? Yeah, I don't know. Says maybe is she going to support me? I was like, well, we came all the way to North Carolina. Like, here we are, right? Um, yeah, that's yeah. some dumb like betting yeah, weird, weird yeah, shit. Who knows weird. what but, that is? And, um, I mean, you know, I think my path would probably have been a little different either way. But I, I'm glad with the path that I I chose. Um, and yeah, so I ended up going to Evansville, and you know, got a scholarship and everything. I remember like my funny story about a scholarship because I was like a scholarship fiend at that age. Like I applied to, to, for everything outside of the school. I applied to everything through the school. They sent me my package and it came and it was like, I had a Martin Luther King scholarship that was like $500. And I called the school and I was like, um, I see that I have a Martin Luther King scholarship here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's our way if you know, it's for, to, diversity, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I was like, it's $500. And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I think Martin Luther King did a little bit more than $500. Don't you? Yes. And she was like, gag, like, just like, okay. And 
So they added like an extra thousand. So it was like a thousand five hundred at the end. Yes. But what was yes. interesting is that when they give you the financial packet, like say they give you twenty thousand, right? If you if they change it, normally they just change the name, but it's still twenty thousand, <clears throat> right? But because they had already awarded me the package, say they awarded twenty thousand already, when I asked for more, they couldn't just be like, "Oh, we're gonna take money from here and just rename it this, and you still have twenty thousand. They had to go up. So I, ha- I literally got an extra thousand added onto it just because. Okay, that's very bold, and and not everybody, not every young person would have had the tenacity to do that so does this mean like you've been fearless since day one or is this something you really cultivated over time no I just feel like I mean you know I think in my life I've always asked for the things that I wanted um whether I got it or not like I I I had a friend and I use the term loosely friend um I would say co-worker once that got really angry at me for no reason and I was like she was very like you know she was just in a mode one day and I was like, what the fuck is going, going on? Right. Sorry for cursing. And, um, and, and she was just like, I mean, you just get like everything you want. Like, why do you think that you're so special? And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. I was like, uh, no, I literally ask for the things that I want and I don't get everything that I want, but I get a lot of what I want because I, I ask for it. And most times. Well, I think that that, that's like so, um, I'm sort of like looking at the factors about what make artists successful and a lot of it. Yes. Is luck and a lot, but I think the thing that people have it and talent, but the thing that a lot of people that are able to do the work in this field in the entertainment industry, whether it's stage or screen or whatever, are people that fucking ask for what they want in a way that is clear and not vague and very specific. So I was like someone who was like, oh, like, I'd love to like, you know, have a meeting with you. No, like, and people are like, no, no, you say like, I really am interested in, in working in this field. Can you, can you help me get a job versus this vague bullshit? So you asked for a specific thing and you got it. And look, people who are afraid to do that are going to like yeah, find fault yeah. with that because they wish yeah. they could do it. It's like, no, you yeah. do have a mouth. Yeah. You have a mouth. My yeah. Friend. And it's, I mean, the worst thing that they'll say is no. Right. Like I, I mean, I've used that um, model throughout my entire career where before I even had an agent, I would like email casting directors. I'd email writers. Uh, I'd email the artistic director. I'd email the director. I'd email the costume person. I'd be like, oh my God, Lisa, I know that we worked to, you know, together, blah, blah. I see that you're working on this show. I would like to go in for this part. Do you, could you like pass my stuff on to the artistic director? And they'll be like, yes or no, right? Most times it would be yes, because it's like, how many people actually ask? Not a lot. So I was like, great. You are my hero. You're my hero. I wish I wish I had that. You know, because when you say it, it sounds so straightforward. You there's a there is something that you want, and then you find a person who might be able to give it to you, and then you ask them. On the on the face of it, it sounds so straightforward. I don't necessarily understand why so many of us just don't even try, you know, to to take that first step. So kudos to you. Well, I think it's the it's the idea that the no means something to you, like or means something about you. You know, like they're saying no because they don't they don't think you're talented or something. Where it's like they, they're saying no because they probably have someone that they're doing. You know, someone else that that they're or whatever. Or, like it doesn't. 
I think the ability to not take shit personally is what, is what, and I think, and I don't know if I'm right, but both Gina and I, you know, are former therapists. So my therapist brain goes, okay, here's a human that, that came to this country from another place who had a stutter, who has probably heard all kinds of horrible shit. So like the costume designer potentially saying no to pass pass their stuff along is probably not going to break them. Do you know what I mean? Like there's probably something has been built, not, not uh, out of necessity. That is a little more tough um, for good or no, for bad. No, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you, Oh God, you just hit, you hit a moment for me. Like I'm, you, whoo, getting a little emotional. You, you hit a moment about the, you know, the coming to this country and, you know, and going after the things that you want and, and all that. And the, the, the speech thing for me was, you know, like, to be honest, when, when I got contacted for this interview and I was looking, you asked for pictures, I think, and I was scrolling back and, I was like, God, I've done a lot. Like, you know, just in my life, I've been, you know, a lot of places and met a lot of people. And, and I, you know, I was like theater school and I had like a few things that jumped to mind when you were talking about it. And when you said, you know, going through that trial and tribulations, right? Like I, I had a, a, a moment in my undergrad and it was like, it was towards the end of my undergrad when I was auditioning for um, graduate school and I, I took a year off in between, like, you know, like I think senior year I auditioned like everyone else. I just felt like I was on this train where I was going to go, you know, I, I do school and then I'm going to, you know, middle school, high school, college, you know, graduate school. And so I took a year off and worked with uh, the Pennsylvania Shakespeare uh, to just make sure that this is what I really wanted to do. But that being said, um, the recommendation letters that we got senior year, you know, they seal them, they stamp them so you can't open them, right? And I had an extra one. And I l opened it and I looked at it. And that was for me, it, 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 you know, they say sometimes success is based on two things, right? Like you're one trying to prove someone wrong, right? Or you've been just like, you have what whatever trauma you used to fuel you to propel you. And for me, that letter was a rocket fuel for me. I opened that letter and keep in mind, like I had been called back to Juilliard, uh, UCSD. Uh, yeah. This is for your yeah, graduate, graduate school, school yeah. for the MFA. ACC. Okay. And these are recommendation letters from your, from your undergrad, undergrad professors. professors. Okay. And I opened one and it dealt with my speech, which is a very sensible, sensitive thing for a lot of people. And especially for me, because I came from another country and I was in speech classes and I was stuttering about, you know, all this kind of stuff. And at that point in school, I had um, conquered stuttering on stage. Um, it was still in my mind at, at times. I took a class where like a cold reading was like the, where it would come out the, the, the most. And I took a class one semester where I had to read. It was like a three times a week. I had to read every single day in front of the class. I told my professor that like I wasn't going to like prep for the class. I was just going to try to do it, you know, 
cold reading it and explain what my issue was and what I was working on and blah, blah. And it was a nightmare, you know, starting. It was a nightmare. Like I would get up there, literally turn beet red. This girl was like, I saw the, the redness from your neck go all the way in your face. And I'm like trembling, right? And so all this work or whatever, and I get to see in a year and I think I've gotten, you know, like I've, you know, I don't have a huge island accent. It's like a little bit there, you know, the stuttering is under control, you know, like I'm put all the work in and I open this letter and it says, Damien has severe speech issues. And I was like, wow. Wow. And I, Wait, okay, wait, did the letter, I just yeah. have to go back. Did the letter like open with that shit? Or it how was did like, it, or it was, was like, there? you know, Damien would be a, a great candidate for your program. You know, he's hardworking, da, 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 da. Um, and um, he also has severe speech issues. And oh. I was just thinking to myself, I was like, I don't think I have severe speech issues, right? And I was like thinking, I'm like, with this recommendation letter, somehow I was like, call back to so many of these schools. I was like, why would I have severe speech issues if I'm being called back to like, you know? Well, here's my problem with this on so yeah. many levels. This is a fucking recommendation oh. letter. This is not a beware oh. letter. Also, why do they need to know why what is, see here's my problem with this is like i want to know the intention of the person writing the letter what is the intention of getting that information to juilliard yale whatever what is the intention because i have serious doubts about the um need for that information it would be one thing if he's like Damien has severe problems communicating with other human beings and emotionally connecting on stage, mm -hmm. whatever. But a severe speech, speech issues is actually not what it is. And, and, oh, and, my also, and also, oh, my God. Wouldn't that be something that you would notice in an audition if it was, quote unquote, severe? Wouldn't that be the first thing that you notice? Like if I'm Correct. talking to you now and, you, and you're like, Correct. Damien has a speech issue, you'd, you'd be like, wow, something's kind of off with him, right? So, but, and also, and also it's, it's also, it's also something that is um, uh, not indicative of any kind of talent. And I understand that they are talking about the instrument that mm -hmm. is the body, but I am not aware of any person with a speech issue whose performance was actually anyway i have so many yeah, things yeah, to yeah. say but go ahead so you open this and i open like, this yeah and to, you thought? know it took me a while like i mean you know clearly i'm even now like it just you know it, it still hits a little bit like in my head like god i had to overcome that that garbage right like that when i yes. thought that i had done so much up until that point right dude it is heartbreaking and it is also infuriating. And the thing that I can relate to it is I once had a psychiatrist who, a new psychiatrist who had gotten notes from my old psychiatrist and literally she read them to me. She said, oh, Dr. Altman told me all about you. Um, severely overweight with severe food issues. And I was like, I didn't think I was that over. What? It, it floored. Yeah. It was devastating because i thought oh 
I thought I was worth yeah. something. Mm. That, that's yeah. literally, and I guess yeah. I wasn't. I, yeah. I want to say something about recommendation letters. If you are a person who's in write a recommendation letter, you don't think that you can honestly convey why this person needs to get into that program or get that scholarship or whatever it is, you politely decline to write the letter. A. B. You send a copy of what you've written to that person via email or whatever, not the official copy. And you, because, you know, maybe they don't want to include your letter. Maybe you have a choice. You, you had an extra one. You know, maybe somebody has 10 letters and they want to pick the, you know, the three best ones. This is gatekeeping. This is exactly the way in which gatekeeping keeps the power structure as it is. And I, 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 I'm, I'm really sorry I mean, that happened to you. It didn't matter because you got in, but it, it does, yeah. it does enrage me. <laughs> yeah. Really I mean, I mean, th this is, you know, I look back, I mean, I, I, I got an ACT with a full ride and I'm like, this is, I mean, it, it was just the insanity of it. And then the part of me is like, like you said, what is the intention? You know? And I think that's what I've, I've never really been able to process why I haven't really moved on as much. Like I've moved on, but it still stings. And I think it's because now that you just said it, it's what is the intention? Because it's, it, it's not like, I mean, someone's going to be able to see it if it's that severe. Right. And I'm wondering if a, a part of that is covering your lack of whatever you thought you should have done as a teacher, Correct. but you didn't do right. Or, or Correct. that that's the only thing that I could think of. Like, well, I, I mean, I think it is so psychologically tied to projection on their part. So when I, I actually went back and confronted my new psychiatrist, I said, first of all, why would you read yeah. that to me? And why didn't you check it out beforehand? And, 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 and what went on? And she said, I am so sorry. I was so nervous. You were so, this is what she said. You were so powerful. And so literally she said, I thought you were so stunningly beautiful that I got perplexed and grabbed the piece of paper and like, and like read it. And anyway, it turned out to be, but I, I, I think that people don't understand the way that their words literally can, can floor people and can, and can break people without thinking twice about it. And it usually stems from their own nervousness and inability to be honest about what is going on with them. But that is not an excuse to like, to break someone's soul. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like you can't do that. So I'm sorry, but you got in, you were yeah, like, huh. you know, did you ever, did you ever confront the teacher? No. no you were like, I'm yeah, done. I'm no, no. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's like, I still, they did a lot. I mean, they did a lot of good stuff. Like I, I it's not like they were a bad teacher by any means. And I think that's again, why, for me, it just came out of nowhere. Cause I was like, I never felt that way. I never felt like they told me that. I never felt like they treated me that way. And so it was just like, I don't know, you know, you, you think that you rose up to this thing and then it's like, okay, which is all right, pretty interesting. The, and the other thing is, that's just so interesting that I have to point out is that all they needed to do was change one letter. So you, he could, he or she, or they could have put D had severe no. speech. It's one fucking letter that needed to be changed. If, he, if they even put Damien had 
severe speech issues. Which he overcame now through this his is, diligence and hard work, and that is why yeah. he should be accepted. Anyway, it's right just now. so, it's one letter, you dumb yeah, yeah, yeah. motherfucker. No, I, no, I feel you. Yeah, or but just anyway. like, I mean, like, like anyway. I even comment on it. Like, they will, they will hear it. This is their job. I mean, for like, Juilliard, you had to read like, all this speech stuff in front of them and do the oh. sounds and like even for Delaware they had us like it was an hour and a half like acrobatic audition it was like you they heard they knew if you were on pitch all pitch <laughs> right no <laughs> right right but it, it's like words it, yeah you clearly it clearly did not stop you no, from no, living no, your no. dream but it certainly was yeah. not helpful so okay so then how the heck did you pick Delaware? so um True story. My freshman year, because Delaware accepts a class every four years, right? It's a three-year pro- program, and then the th- and then the fourth year they go around and they try to find people. Um, they see see people in shows or you know people that are graduating and bring bring them in. Um, my freshman year, there was a, an actress by the name of Marnie Young who I looked up to, and I think she's amazing. Um, she was like very classically, you know, very into the classical world. I wanted to be in the classical world because I knew it was a way of like not playing gangsters and, you know, crooks and stuff. And I could play some royalty and some princes and, you know. And so like I knew that that was going to be an avenue for me to expand my act, my uh, reach and workability. And so I was, I looked up to, to, to her and she wanted to go to Yale. Um, and she wanted to go to, uh, Delaware, but Delaware was her number one choice. She was prepping for it the entire year. We talked about it. I'd never heard of the program. She's like, Oh my God, they build these like, you know, classical stage stars. And I was like, Oh, it looks amazing. And so she went and auditioned, um, when it came time and, she said it went well. She told me about the callback process and everything. And I was like living my dreams through her, right? And then I remember one day, it was a sunny day. We're walking across campus and I see Marnie coming and she's bawling. And I'm like, oh my God, what's, what's, what's happening? And she's like, I got my Delaware rejection letter. And I was like, damn. And I was like, but you're so good. You're so, I was like, what the hell? And then like two weeks later, she got into Yale. And so I was like, now I really want to go to Delaware. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I was like, damn, Marnie didn't get into Delaware, but she got into Yale. Damn, I really got to get into Delaware. So then, like, so when I got to my senior year, I, I, I had that year that I had to wait, right? So um, when I chose to not go straight to graduate school, I took that year off. A part of it was like, oh, I'm gonna go and audition for Delaware in the program that I could did. And then I did, and again, it's like one of those things where you just know when you know, you know? Like, I met the faculty, like, it, you know, the, the audition was like, like I said, an hour and a half. It was like, you had to do push-ups, you had to hold your breath and walk across the thing, you had to sing a certain song and repeat what, what they tell you. You They showed you a series of like a minute of move movement you had to look at it twice and recreate it like there were like all these things and i was like oh my god this is like a boot camp and i love it um and then after that they fly you in and they put you up and they you know you take classes with the people and so it was like this whole gauntlet of thing that you're running and i i just knew i knew that that's where i wanted to go and um i turned down all the other schools and i got in some pretty good schools that that year um 
Okay, can you tell us where you got in? Because I feel I got into I got into the Oslo at Florida State. I got into UMKC. Oh shit! Yeah, That's I got great. into ACT. Like I said, with the whole ride. Oh shit! Um, I was waitlisted for Juilliard. <laughs> Just so cute. No, I mean, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I mean, I'm not bothered, but look, to even that, get, that's yeah, what, yeah, but also that's what I'm saying. Like, I've, all my, smooth. all my uh, classmates right. was like, don't audition for Juilliard. It's going to be a waste of time. And I was happy. Like, when I was like, well, at least I'm witnessing. Um, and yeah, yes. so there was like, I mean, a few things, a, a few other places and stuff, but it, it was nice. It was, uh, nice to have choices. Um, I think it was like UNC Chapel Hill. I also got in and got a, got a full ride. Yeah, that's a great um, school. I, I think that what I'm realizing too is that you're making me see, which is really interesting for like uh, being a TV writer too, is like, I think that we do much better when we create ensembles mm -hmm. based on what we're looking for as a group to proceed ra a cast rather than this person's beautiful, this person's skinny, this person's this. Like, if we could look more at our projects as what world are we building with these people versus world building versus she's cute, he's this. Like, how are we going to work together? The biggest slap in the face for me when I got out of school, and this includes like graduate school and undergrad, you know, like in grad school, you feel like, I mean, my graduate school is a little more real realistic. But like you look at a lot of these grad programs and undergrad programs and it's like everybody is not an ingenue. Like everybody's not an ingenue. And like they accept like 90% everyone has to be skinny and in shape and, you know, and try to be as beautiful as possible, whatever. And then you get in the real world and you realize in a show, TV or stage, you got one ingenue, boo. And then everybody else is yeah. regular folks, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then yeah. you start to think, why where were the regular folks in school like where were the regular folks in school you they had a whole class or otherwise marginalized seriously you had you had a whole class of quote-unquote ingenues and then you get in the real world and people are like again it's like not it's not yeah. world building what they're doing is creating like their version of maybe what they yeah. want the world to look like but when you walk around even now going out and you may know this too it's like when you go to commercials like auditions you, you, they bring me in because I look yeah. a certain way that they don't want me to be the ingenue. Yeah. That's not yeah. the thing that they want. And so I'm like, Oh, right. We need people to look all different kinds of ways in, because that's the world we're building look like all different things. So it's really about world building versus an ensemble building versus, um, yeah, everyone has to be like one yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, the cookie, the cookie cutter so, version. So when you when you did when you went, I mean, there was all this build up and lead up to getting going to that school, University of Delaware. Yeah. How did it hold up to expectations? Oh my god, it was amazing! I mean, it was like it was. I'm just boot camp for life, but in the best way. I mean, we had a a, a pool room. It was like a, a room that used to be a huge pool that they had like, you know, concrete over and like turned it into kind of a gymnasium kind of thing. But we had charts all over the walls and you had your chart and you had to go to the gym three times a week and you had your numbers and each, every other day you had to put your numbers on the, on the board. No one was self-checking you. They did a whole mind thing about integrity where like, if you lied, 
you yourself would check yourself. It was a weird thing. Like they got into our heads in the first couple of months as like, you are your word. You're nothing but your word. If you're, if you're not your word, who are you? You know, if you don't have your word, what good are you? You know? So like the idea of like lying would, would be like, why would I lie? I'm only cheating myself. This is so horrible. So each week we had to like, the numbers had to go up. And when it didn't. Wait, the numbers of what? Like what? Like yeah. So we, so we were on a Nautilus program. So we had to go to the gym and clock in a certain amount of time each, each uh, week. And then say you were doing like a bar curl or something. I'm I'm trying to think of some why I'm blanking out on the names, but say that you, you had to do like some, uh, like a chest press and you were pressing a hundred and twenty pounds. Then the next week, it better be a hundred, like 120 pounds at 10 reps, right? When you get past 10 reps, you got to up the weight to 125 and you got to get, you know, 125 at eight reps, nine reps. Once you get to 10, you got to move it up to 130. Yeah. Yeah. So it was progress. progress. It was about progress. But when you, when your numbers did not go up, they were like, uh, Damien, I see that you didn't go up last week. I need you to really make that happen this, this, this week. And so in your head, you're like, what? I can't, I can't, you know, you, you see people at the gym like, ah, you know, trying to get it, whatever like that. But what it taught me was like, we, I had a friend that for two weeks, she didn't go up. And they were like, this third week, you either go up or you go out. That's it. <laughs> up, up or, or out. And you see what the mind is capable of. And you see that it's a limitation based on your mind thinking, oh, I, cause if you can do 120, you can do 125. You, you, you won't do 10 reps of it, but that's not the point of doing 10 reps, right? You just have to. And so you, you, you just have to do one. If you can do one at 25 and you start building from one to the two to the three. And so it was like, and she got it. She got it. You know, it was just like, it helps you to push past this idea of what you think. And so it was things like, like that. And we, we never had an acting class. Like we had no class that was called acting. We, we had rhetoric, which is how to create an arg, an arg, argument. We had speech classes, which is like, you know, pronounce, pronunciation, right? Um, but everything was, was about how to create an argument how to get your point across, how to communicate emotion, like things like that. It was just like basic, like um, fun, fundamental things that you can actually use on stage. Because for me, a lot of theater schools is like that heady crap where it's like, oh, pretend you're a dog or pretend you're, I'm like, what? Like, or, and this is going to be a really horrible thing to say, but this is just my opinion. Or that kind of like Christian Linklater thing where it's like, breathe and ha ah, and you know release or whatever you get on stage you don't have time to be all ha ah, ah. ha you know it's like what are the practical things that i'm going to be able to do on the stage to get my voice out right to speak yeah. to bring it forward right to connect it's, right to connect well what it sounds to me is that their approach is very much on your body is your instrument so you you need to do you need to demonstrate a um, a command of, of self-discipline in order 
to, you know, if you're going to be on, if you're going to be touring with Hamilton, that's eight shows a week and, you know, and it's a great paycheck. So you're going to want to do it for a good long while. And you're not going to have the stamina to do it unless you learn here and now how to, you know, keep an instrument in, in fighting shape. Um, You said something earlier about uh, you, you did do Shakespeare in Pennsylvania. You, you wanted that this classical training. Is that still your thing? You love Shakespeare and. Yeah, I do. I mean, to be honest, I do right now. I do everything. Um, I've done a lot of, uh, Shakespeare, like even over the pandemic, I did a, uh, zoom production of Pericles where I played the lead. And I'm going to say that that's to this date, the hardest (laughs) role I've ever played. Like, I don't know if anyone has ever read. Heracles, but it's like that is a difficult play to do. I fucking could never get. I could never get through it. Yeah. I, I didn't even know what was happening. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a good. Once you understand it, it's a. It's a good play, but it just takes so much work to actually communicate that argument of what's being said and, and, and what's being, um, you know, showed. Like, it, yeah, it's. It, it was for the audition. I think I. <laughs> I think I took a week to prepare one scene. And I kept, I was like, oh my God. So like when I actually booked it, I was like, what? They want me? Because even in the callback, I, I was on the beach in Miami. Um, I was quarantining before seeing my parents. It was right before the uh, Christmas holidays. And I remember I had this callback and I was like, Ugh, I have to leave the beach and go, you know, do this callback. Like, Ugh. And, and I was like, I'm not even going to get it. You know, it's like, it's so hard. And then like, and I go and I'm doing the callback and the director, you know, had me do the scene and, and he's like, what did you think? And I'm like, I thought it was good. I, I did it. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was good. Like, and he goes, huh? Okay. And I was like, uh, okay. I was like, do you, do you want to do something else? And he goes, yeah, well, why don't we try it again and do this? And I did it. And he was like, what'd you think about that? And I was like, oh, we're playing this game. I said, again, I thought it was great. Cause I did it. <laughs> I thought it was great. And she so was like, huh? Okay. Let's move on to the next scene. Did the next scene. What did you think of, think, think, think of it? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So by this point, I'm just like to the roof. Right. And I'm like, I thought, I thought it was great. I thought I could relax a bit more. I thought I could, you know, I'm, I'm pushing to get that communication, but since we're doing it through Zoom, which is what we're going to be doing any, anyway, it's a little harder, but I'm, you know, I felt like I'm almost there. And he goes, huh, okay. And so we're, we're getting ready. Like we had gone in for like 15 minutes now. And he's like, okay, well, let's try, try this. And then I did it. And then he, he was like, huh, okay, okay. Okay, well, um, thank you so much. And then I said to him, I said, well, did you get everything that you wanted, that you were looking for? And he went, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just bluntly, but I, at this point, I was like, listen, you've already taken half an hour of my beach, beach time. So I, I was like, well, what is it that you want? <laughs> Blunt. <laughs> like, I was just saying, he gave me a look like, I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you want? And then he's like, well, I was thinking that he could be like, and I was like, okay, well, do you want to try it? And he goes, all right, well, yeah, yeah, let's just do it one, one, one last time. And I was like, all right, sure. And so I did it, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, cool. That was it. And I was like, okay, uh, well, all right, 
thank you. And so like, I left it being like, this was a big waste of my time. I was like, he doesn't even know what he wants. He's like asking me what I think. I was like, what is, what is this foolishness? And so like two days later, my agent called me and was like, oh, so you booked Pericles? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, you booked Pericles. I was like, Lauren, stop, stop joking. <laughs> and she's like, Damien, I'm serious. I was like, no, this is impossible. I, I didn't book it. No, she's like, well, Damien, I'm calling you. And I was like, did. I thought he hated me. I was even like bluntly like, what do you want? Is like, I don't, yeah. like, what do you want? <laughs> like, right. you know? But no, you, right. Well, but, here's the, yeah, no, you doing, you doing no, that, no. you saying that, I mean, this is exactly the same thing as asking for what you want. In this case, you were asking what he wanted, but it's the same concept. And also, was he related to the person who asked your mother if she thought you were talented? Because no, no, these no. questions are <laughs> <sound> very similar. <laughs> Um, I think also it's just we don't know what people yeah. are wanting. And I, I, I'm i aware that we have like five minutes left. And something that I'm dying to ask because I'm obsessed right now is, okay, if, if you can go there with me, mm -hmm. you're on stage and you are like, when you have a fear, whether it's will I stutter, how do you move through that shit, Damien? How do you move through your fear? Because I think other people want to know that, like me. Um, like, how do you move through fear about what something in terms of whatever it is on stage, your acting? How do you move through it? Two things. Um, one, I, I think of my breath, right? The way that I conquered stuttering was that I started paying attention to how my body felt when I wasn't stuttering. And even when I'm excited or I'm speaking fast or, you know, I'm angry, there's still this kind of like, I, I imagine that there's like a pole in the middle of my body and it's like a grounded pole. So as much as there's chaos around it, like the, hur the hurricane or a tornado circling it, there is still that solid kind of calmness. And when I connect to that, I feel like I can do anything. I can talk fast. I can be angry and whatever. And it's, the idea of stuttering doesn't even bother me, right? The other thing is, and this is what helped me to really get over it, was my graduate school, the head of my grad program had me do a journal of like what my thoughts were while I was stuttering, what my thoughts were before I was stuttering, where I was, what I was talking about, who I was with. And I started to see a pattern. He would meet, meet with me like every other week and, you know, and, and we would talk. And I started to see a pattern that like a lot of times it was like, I didn't feel like what I had to say was important. I thought people wanted me just to hurry and talk and, you know, and, um, and I was scared about stuttering. And then he was like, create stuttering. When you're with your friends, stutter on purpose. He, he's like, and you'll see what, what happens. They'll just wait. Nothing happens. No one judges you. No one talks about you. They just wait. Right. And so the minute I started to recreate it myself and was okay with stuttering, right? He's like, if you're on, if you're on stage and your character stutters, guess what? Your character stutters. You're playing March, March Banks in Canada. Okay. March Banks stutters. Great. You know? And once I started to see it like that, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is, yeah, I, I, I thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that because it's like actually super helpful. Um, I, I, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for it. And it's something that Gene and I were talking about, like my fear of yeah. flying, right? When I can say, I, no matter what, I was thinking about that poll you're talking about, no matter what happens to me, 
I am not going to abandon mm-hmm. myself in this process. So even if I'm on stage and I stutter, I will not jump ship and abandon myself what, regardless of what happens. And I feel like that's that pole of like, no matter what happens, I'm standing here and I know at my core that that it, it, I may be afraid, but at my core, I know that like I deserve to be here and I'm not going to abandon myself. And it just, it's just, it goes a long way. So I like the yeah. pole. I'm going to use the pole. My, my, you know? uh, the theater, the theater teacher that moved from, you know, middle school to high school, she said something very interesting to me. She was like, you know, you stuttered a lot when I met you, but the one thing that I admired about you is if you had something to say, you would stutter your way through it. Like you wouldn't stop because you were stuttering. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you! Thank you!